And we're glad to see all of you on this rainy Sunday, which we celebrate as the second Sunday of Advent here at IBC. Some are already on the third Sunday of Advent, but we're celebrating it a little later. Y no pasa nada. Do you feel like the world is broken? Brokenness is something we never quite finish dealing with in this life for a lot of different reasons. Maybe it's about lost loved ones for you or separation from friends or from more favorable life circumstances. Maybe it's a broken family circle that can never be complete again on this side of eternity. Distances hurt, don't they? Whether they're physical distances or emotional distances, they can really break the heart. And sometimes the disillusionment of life can actually turn Christmas into a time of depression and loneliness and anxiety. For a lot of people, Christmas is that, you know? And yet, our Creator came to this earth precisely so that he could walk with us and beside us in all these burdens that afflict us in this life. This is what we should be remembering at Christmas. John, John's gospel says, chapter 1, he came to his own, his own received him not. Wow. Wow. But you know, he never let that rejection deter him from fulfilling his mission. He kept his eyes on the goal. He came as our advocate, our comforter, as our priest, our intercessor. So we want to think about Jesus fulfilling these roles this morning and the impact that he has had on our world's brokenness and pain. And on ours, personally, too. So as we think about this subject, I'm assuming that back in November, you heard this news, right? That we've now achieved 8 billion as of November 15th. At least that's according to UN sources. And the amazing thing is that it's just 11 years after the world had reached 7 billion. Do you remember it? It was back in 2011 that we hit the 7 billion point, and it seemed like such a big deal. But in reality, it was only 12 years after we had hit the 6 billion point. That was 1999. I remember because I was 50 years old that year. <laughs> and yet, that point was only 12 years after we hit the 5 billion point back in 1987. Ooh, I was just a youngster of 38 at that point. <laughs> and that one was 13 years after the world had hit 4 billion. That was back in 1974. Mm, I was just a chaval 
25 years old. That one was 14 years after 1960 when we hit 3 billion. I was really a child, I was then 11 years old. 1960. What amazes me is that all of those points have been within my lifetime from 3 billion to 8 billion, and I might live to see 9 billion. They're predicting it's not very far out there in the future. Well, how far back do we have to go to get 2 billion? Already says 33 years back. It was 1927 when the world hit 2 billion. How much farther back is it to the 1 billion point? 123 years back. 1 billion didn't come till 1804. And from 1804 to 1927, that was a long time, wasn't it? To get to 2 billion. But after that, things really started picking up, didn't they? Just this century. Well, sorry, this century. That was last century when I was born, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, last century and this century. Wow. You get the impression we're going somewhere really fast and we're not sure where it is. Yeah. Maybe we're growing faster than we should. Mm. Makes you think somebody might like to reduce the population. Maybe with a pandemic or something. Oh, we won't go into those political questions. Let's move to the next point. Well, what's going on in Indonesia these days? Have you kept up with the news down there? Doesn't look great, does it? Back in November, they had a 5.7 magnitude earthquake. And then December 3rd, they had another one, 6.4. Makes you wonder, how often do they have these earthquakes in Indonesia? Are our Indonesians here this morning? I don't see them out there. Well, pretty much every year. It's pretty much yearly that they have at least a 6.0 earthquake somewhere in the country. It's because they're located on that Pacific Ring of Fire where 75% of the Earth's volcanoes are located, which means 90% of every year's eruptions happen somewhere along that ring. Would you like to live there? Doesn't appeal to me either. Well, maybe we would like to go to some other island nation, like maybe Haiti. Would that be a lovely place to live? They're calling it the worst human rights and humanitarian crisis in decades. I mean, they, they've been living in that situation for a long time, but they say this one is protracted and multifaceted with so many people being killed by firearms or because they don't have access to safe drinking water through the cholera outbreak. Nearly half the population right now is facing acute hunger, food insecurity, poor sanitation, lack of water supplies. The cholera epidemic has already claimed dozens of lives. Women are being gang raped with impunity, largely due to these heavily armed gangs and the gang violence that's expanding across the capital and in other regions. Hundreds of residents have had to flee their homes as a result of the turf wars between the gang, the rival gangs. Hundreds of thousands of people have been demonstrating in the streets since late August because they have a failed government. Anybody volunteering to go to Haiti for a mission trip this Christmas? 
no volunteers. How about China? Is China on your radar? What's happening there lately? Unprecedented displays of civil disobedience and protests erupting in cities all across China last month, apparently sparked by a deadly fire in Urumqi late November, where the victims in this burning building couldn't escape because of locked doors and other infection controls imposed because of COVID. The people were livid, angry. Thousands of Chinese uh, took to the streets in more than 20 cities. Started back on November 25th, frustrated by these lengthy, soul-crushing COVID lockdowns, the intense testings, testing and other restrictions on people's movements. It's the largest act of public dissent in China in decades. Maybe you've seen them raising those blank sheets of paper. What does that mean? Well, it's a show of dissent designed to evade censorship and prosecution. Because if you write something on that paper, yeah, you could go to jail. You may never get out. Such is life under the repressive CCC, CCP. Yeah. Does it feel like the world is broken? Lots of places are really broken, aren't they? Well, what's going on in the Southern Hemisphere? That so many down south are rushing north, like all those Latins, by the thousands. They're rushing north to camp on the doorstep of the great superpower, <laughs> that's the US, or to rush the fence or to swim the river. Actually, the US border control with Mexico reports six to 7,000 migrant crossings per day. Which means in 2022, the total has already topped 2 million crossings. And uh, what would it take for you to join in? I think we might have considered it. It's, it, it, considered it. It's taken two years for my daughter-in-law to try to get a visa legally. So I guess people get tired of waiting <laughs> and they just say, I'll jump the river, I'll jump the fence, it'll be quicker. How about all those Venezuelans? As of September 2022, over 7 million Venezuelans have fled the Maduro regime's version of paradise to escape the violence, the insecurity, the threats, the high crime rate, the lack of food, the lack of medicine, and basic services, you know, we're not hearing about it so much in the news, but it's still ongoing. It's still happening. Of course, we have the same phenomenon on this side of the globe, don't we? With Africans clamoring to cross the Mediterranean by the thousands, and a lot of them dying. Since 2009, which I think is when they started keeping the statistics, about two million have crossed the Mediterranean like this. Interesting, just this year, two million have crossed the border, the southern border of the U.S. Well, since 2009, according to the statistics, there have been two million who've crossed the Mediterranean like that. How desperate would you have to be to risk your life 
in one of those boats. How desperate. Especially after having paid a fortune just to get that privilege with a good chance you might end up at the bottom of the sea. Or maybe you'd prefer to try your luck jumping the fence at Melilla, that northern border of Morocco. That fence was first built in 2005, but it's just been getting bigger and more fortified every year. Maybe you're not good at climbing. So you'd prefer to try out one of the detention centers in Libya. According to personal testimony, guards enter the prison with a stick and beat people like animals. Sometimes they take your money, your good clothes. In this case, he says, they broke my teeth, so I accepted repatriation. It was better than living there as a slave and a prisoner. Migrants in Libya are routinely subjected to criminalization, kidnapping, forced labor, violence, torture, xenophobia, all kinds of human rights violations and abuses. So maybe Libya is not your choice either. Perhaps a Greek or Syrian refugee camp would suit you better. You remember nearly 7 million Syrians are internally displaced within the country. Whereas nearly 7 million have been forced to seek safety as refugees elsewhere in Lebanon, Turkey, Jordan, Greece, and beyond. By the end of 2021, UN statistics say there were 89.3 million people displaced worldwide. Displaced as a result of persecution, conflict, violence, human rights violations, or other events seriously disturbing the public order. And you know, life in a refugee camp is not fun. I don't know if anybody here has had to experience it firsthand. But it most often includes overcrowding, lack of food and water, lack of education for your children, plenty of infectious diseases, but very little medical attention, Lack of sanitary methods even for eliminating human waste. Can you imagine? And the average stay in one of these camps? What do you think? 17 years. Kenya boasts a number of large camps, especially displaced Somalians and Sudanese. There's Kakuma with 60,000 residents. There's Dadaab with 223,000 re residents. Or in Jordan, the Zatahari camp hosts 80,000 Syrians. Of course, the largest one by population on the whole earth has to be the Kutupalung refugee camp in Bangladesh. The official count may be about 600,000, but when you include all the suburb camps that have grown up around Kutupalong, which are also known by that name, the total gets close to a million. Whew. The Rohingyas, a very persecuted people fleeing Burma. I still call it Burma because Myanmar 
This feels like we're giving official status to the government that was imposed. Well, it sure feels like the world is broken, doesn't it? When you keep reviewing like this. I mean, who could ever bring deliverance to all of these terrible, miserable situations? And of course, we haven't even touched on our European war yet, have we? How many Ukrainian refugees have been scattered around Europe and elsewhere this year? They're calling it Europe's largest refugee crisis since World War II and its aftermath. Nearly 8 million. Not counting forcible migrations to Russia. And they say those number close to a million. But you know, there's so much more to this brokenness than meets the eye. There's always a personal side to these statistics. The traumatizing impact on the humans who are uprooted this way, separated, cast out, especially we think about the children. And of course, we haven't even talked about all those people who are being trafficked, have we? There's another whole can of worms that I don't think we have time to try to get into it this morning. The figure that's quoted is almost 25 million humans on our planet who are being trafficked. 25 million. It's one of the biggest businesses on the globe. Sex trafficking, that is commercial sexual exploitation, and also forced labor exploitation. It's tragic. It's ongoing. It's our modern-day slavery. It really does feel like the world is broken, doesn't it? Well, you'd probably be surprised if you knew the number of your fellow congregants who are taking prescription medication for depression or anxiety. According to a recent Christianity Today article, more people in our communities and congregations are engaged in mental health struggles than we realize. And you might be surprised by who it is. The article insists that some of your most respected members are either effectively managing their illness or stubbornly denying it or successfully hiding their struggle. I certainly went through a couple of very depressed years in my young adulthood. But for others, it's much more a chronic problem recurring over and over. And it's not just adults. Every decade, the percentage of children and teens being treated for depression and anxiety increases with the age of initial diagnosis and treatment getting younger and younger. What's happening to our planet? And we have to be quick. We have to be slow to judge. In fact, better not to judge on this issue because it's not necessarily just a matter of be more grateful. Count your blessings. You need to grow out of your spiritual immaturity. You see, depression and anxiety aren't always just about that. 
There are a lot of other things involved. That's why this particular slogan, I choose not to use it. I'm not saying you can't find some worthwhile things in that book. I'm just saying it's too simplistic, too blessed to be depressed. It is a serious misunderstanding of the deeper issues behind mental and emotional health. Are you with me? Okay, the question then that we're dealing with. Is your God big enough to handle all this junk in the world? Is the salvation that we believe in and confess able to embrace all this human need, this human tragedy, these many mountains that need to be moved, these awful messes that we make, the chaos that we've created, the brokenness that we ourselves help to perpetrate many times. And you think all of this stuff we've been talking about this morning, or I have, I hope you've been following along. You think all of this stuff we're going to pin on one little baby boy born in Bethlehem? It's a lot of bees. Is it realistic? Is, do you have a realistic faith? Who would ever come to such a wretched planet like ours to rescue such miserable creatures as we are? Just look at us. And this little review has only been el borde del manto. I say that, the edge of the garment, the border of the garment. Well, I hope you know that Scripture offers us the only thread of hope that there is. 1 John 2 calls Jesus our advocate. Oh, what a beautiful word. He's for us. He's advocating on our behalf. It's interesting. That's the same word that's used, that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he uses this same Greek word, parakletos. We say paraclete in English. Literally, it means the one who's called alongside you. Called to our side. And the translations range from an advocate, comforter, helper, intercessor. This describes Jesus' role. This is why he came to earth and it really sounds very much like the role of the Old Testament priest, the mediator, the go-between, the reconciler. And on this point, we want to avoid a confusion here. We don't want to confuse the issue by thinking that God is the one who needs reconciling to us, not we are the ones who need reconciling. We are the ones who rejected him from being the authority over our lives and over our world. So Jesus came as our high priest 
to reconcile us to God, to make atonement for us. Hebrews 2. This is why he had to be made fully like us, as the author to the Hebrews says, so that he could empathize fully with us in all our terrible situations, in every way, tempted, tested like we are. He came to represent God. Remember what he said to Philip? When Philip said, oh, just show us the Father and that'll be enough. Jesus said, have I been with you so long, Philip, that you don't know me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus came to represent his Father in our world to us. And to show us that God is for us. I love that phrase in Latin, Deus pro nobis. I don't know why, it just makes it sound deeper. <laughs> it's not really, you understand, it's just a mental thing. <laughs> but it doesn't hurt to learn it. We learned Emmanuel, right? That's Hebrew, by the way. And you know Emmanuel means God is with us. Well, now let's learn something else. This one's in Latin. God is not only with us, he is for us. No matter what you do, you got to think about that one, don't you? Oh, well, maybe he won't be for me if I... Yeah, well, you already did it. And he's still for you. That's what Paul says in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who's left that matters? <laughs> Who can be against us? That's what Jesus came to show us, to demonstrate in the midst of our messes and tragedies, God is for us. Knowing full well what we sinners would do to him, he willingly chose to share our lot. To come and share in our flesh and blood, to be made like us, to participate in our lowly condition so that he could get right down there on our level without participating in our sin and thereby destroy the one who held us in bondage to sin and death. And yet when he came to show us his love to show us that God is for us. When he came to the ones that he loved. To show us God's love and to save us. What was our response? He came to his own. And his own received him not. He was rejected. The picture could look so bleak right there, and all would be lost. But no, this is Christmas. This is the message. The power of his life was so different from anything we could ever imagine. Isaiah had already told us this. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. His, the power of his life was so different 
that all our cursing and humiliation of him, the, the insulting, the violence, the crucifixion that they carried out against him in the name of all of us, because it's what we'd all done in our hearts, could not put out the fire of his love, could not put out the light of his truth. You see, the blessing of his grace and his forgiveness overcame the curse of sin and even triumphed over death itself through the resurrection. Do we see that? Do we see it? We need to learn to see all our messes, our tragedies, our mountains, our brokenness in the light of this miracle. The one who was broken by us and for us still overcame. Do we get it? This is Christmas, friends. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. I want to share a story as we finish up about Scottish Army Captain Ernest Gordon. I don't know if the name rings a bell, but he spent three and a half years of World War II in a POW camp. Later he wrote about the experience in his book entitled Through the Valley of the Kwai. It was made into a, an amazing movie in 2001 known as To End All Wars. You probably haven't read the book, but maybe you saw the movie. <laughs> I think the movie doesn't quite do justice to the book. It does capture a lot of it, a lot of the drama, a lot of the tragedy, sorrow, and brokenness, something of the testimony, but the, the essence of the testimony is there in the book. During those three and a half years, Ernest Gordon saw Japanese guards bayonet, shoot, drown, and decapitate his fellow prisoners. He witnessed men being tortured, having their heads crushed, being tied up by their thumbs, buried alive, even crucified, being denied medical care, starved, worked beyond all human capacity. But what Gordon emphasizes was the difference between two Christmas seasons spent in that prison camp. You see, it seems the guards were trying to see if they could make the prisoners act like animals, and they were succeeding through short food rations. They would, the, the men would turn to stealing, lying, leaving the sick to die so they could get their rations. That was Christmas, 1942. But Christmas, 1943, was totally different. Some 2,000 men assembled for worship, for singing Christmas carols, for reading the Gospels. The camp was clean. The bunks had been debugged. The sick were being given extra food by those who were well what had happened between Christmas 1942 and Christmas 1943? It all started when a big strong man began withering away. Because as they discovered, 
he was giving nearly all his food to a sick buddy whom the guards had put out to die. And finally, that sick man recovered and the strong man died. The story began to circulate and the men started asking, how on earth did this happen? And so that man's Christian testimony came to light. Many began to take interest in the Christian message. They started meeting for Bible discussions. These men were starving for true hope, which is what all the tragedy and the mess in our world should do to all of us, cause us to starve, to hunger for true hope. Many of those men came to faith in Jesus Christ right there in that camp. Some survived to tell about it and others did not. Dr. Gordon called it the miracle of Kwai. Total transformation in the midst of abject misery and suffering. All of it thanks to Jesus Christ. What we need to realize is that the whole world we live in is basically like a prison camp. With a few places that are more bearable than others, right? Yeah, I think we live in one of the more bearable places, don't you? Yeah. We're among the more fortunate ones. Which means we have a bigger responsibility, don't we? The whole world is plagued by power mongers, sadists, selfish hoarders, unscrupulous advantage seekers, because it's under the dominion of an evil prince whom we cannot even see. And what we need this Christmas, desperately, is a repetition of that miracle of quiet, selfless giving, sacrificial, caring about the well-being of others in Jesus' name. That can transform our materialistic obsessions all by the light of eternity, the light of the good news that Jesus Christ brought to our world. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of Christmas? Okay, the enthusiasm is underwhelming. <laughs> Maybe I've weighted you down with too many tragedies. That's when it's time to go to the Lord in prayer. We sang it just a few minutes ago. Savior, you can move the mountains. What are the mountains in your life, in our world? Our eyes are on him, not on the mountains. Would you pray with me? Holy Savior, our eyes are on you. Our souls wait for you, our advocate, our intercessor, our comforter, our priest. Holy Lord Jesus, only in you can our souls be satisfied.
Only in you can this world ever be fixed. Lord Jesus, make us your instruments this Christmas. This Christmas. May we truly focus on you, the light, our only hope. We pray in Jesus' name.